Okay, good morning, everybody. Good to have you out today. Um, God clearly wants somebody to know that you are loved. And I hope you know that. You know, when you get that message down deep in your soul, your heart and your soul, and you, you know that the one who created you, you know the one who is God Almighty, when you know that he loves you, I mean, you've arrived. It's like you, you, everything else, just people's approval, validation, all that kind of stuff that we just seek after, that's it when you know God loves you. That, that's it. And there's a peace, there's a striving that cease, ceases when you just know that you know that God loves you. And, I, and, and maybe you came in here today really questioning if you're loved, really, really just doubting that. You got to know this morning, God loves you. He loves you. Three, three of the most powerful words, God loves you. He absolutely, absolutely does. My name is Rich. I'm the campus pastor here. And I don't know if you uh, noticed a difference on the driving of the parking lot this morning, by chance. Yeah. So awesome. A lot of you have been wondering, okay, what is with the parking lot? Like, why don't we get some lines in there already? Well, here's the thing. We've been trying to get lines for about four or five years. And so finally we just decided, okay, let's just figure out how to get it done. And we had an awesome team that was here over the weekend and just did a great job of blowing off the, the dirt and debris and striping the parking lot. And, and it, I have never in my entire life been so tickled, warm and fuzzy inside by lions on a parking lot. I'm just telling you. So much joy inside. So much joy. But, but some of you in your parking still, I mean, uh, we won't get into it this morning, but. Wow. <laughs> awesome. So good. Um, next week is our annual Chili Bowl, October 16th, 12 o'clock after church. We would love to have all of you be a part of that. Um, you don't even necessarily have to bring a chili to compete in the contest, but um, you can just show up and eat food. But it's going to be like a potluck-style deal, so even if you don't bring a chili or if you bring a chili, we're still going to need salads and cornbread and dessert, and we're going to have a feast next Sunday. Do I get a big amen today? Yeah. <laughs> so we'd love to have you be a part of that, and of course, there is going to be a, just a small competition next week. <laughs> Um, for first place, but uh, uh, make sure, uh, just some instructions, for, so for next week, the, for those of you that are bringing chili, uh, make sure that you bring it in a crock pot, and uh, we're going to plug it in during the service, and there's a certain system that we have to use so that we don't blow all the breakers in the building, but uh, make sure you bring it in a crock pot, and, uh, and also bring uh, sides and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be a really good time, and then on, uh, I believe it's October 30th, that's a Saturday. Uh, our church is going to be participating in the downtown trick-or-treating deal that happens every single year. And so we would love to give away boatloads of candy. And if you could help us do that over the next two Sundays, uh, starting next week, there's going to be some bins out there in the foyer that are going to have just where you can come and, and bring candy. So this week, put a note in your phone, because if you're like me, you're going to forget as soon as you leave here today. Put a note in your phone, pull it out, get your calendar out, buy candy for the downtown deal and bring it to church on October 16th and 23rd. Got it? Awesome. Okay. I think that was everything. Just double check. Yes. Thank you to Jessica and the worship team this morning. You guys just were awesome. 
really appreciate that. So good. So good. Today we're going to start a new series uh, that we're, we're diving into a topic that it affects literally every single person that's listening, um, whether you're here in the room or, or watching online. It affects us all. In fact, um, it affects us all so much that on average, most of you will spend about 90,000 hours of your life involved in what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks. And uh, this morning, we're going to be spending most of our time in the very first two chapters of the Bible, um, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And uh, we're going to be reading a little bit about where it all began, and this is going to just kind of set a, a good, solid foundation for where we're going to go over the next few weeks. And I don't know if you're very, how familiar you are with the creation story, but really the creation story kind of happens in two different, two different ways. So Genesis 1 gives like a broad kind of big picture view of creation. Tells about all the, the, the seven days of creation, what God created, big broad view. And then there's also a more like narrowed down specific account of, of a certain aspect of, of creation. The broad picture, and then there's the, the specific narrowed down picture of a specific aspect of that. It'd be like this. I could tell about this weekend how it was homecoming and how Ferndale Golden Eagles kicked butt on Friday night. And I could tell about last Saturday night, and there was just a lot of students all just decked out, looking awesome. It was a great night, great weather, kind of like the broad picture view of that. Or I could also narrow down and tell about a specific student, tell about all the stress that went in beforehand of deciding, do I go with a date or do I go with a group date? What do I wear for homecoming? I could tell about how stressful it was the hour before you're supposed to be at pictures trying to iron out the last little bit of wrinkles on that white shirt. I could tell about Zuwanich and all the pictures and trying to get the right angle and just how all that went. I could tell about the dance and how it went for this particular student. Not that that was any student in my home. <laughs> but we could go broad or we could bring it right down and also tell about the, the narrow specific perspective. Well, Genesis 1 gives the big picture view of creation, including humanity, and then Genesis 2 narrows down on the specific events surrounding the creation of humanity. And we're going to start with Genesis 1, the big picture. We're on the sixth day of creation. God creates mankind. This is the broad view of how all, how all that went down. It says this, Then God said, Let us, this is God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, saying, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And we're going to create or read the rest of that section there um, just after God creates us. Uh, something that you're going to see in just a second is that when God creates us, He also blesses us. He doesn't just create us and boop, there you go, have at it. No, He, he blesses us. And, and one of the ways that He blesses us is by giving us purpose. He gives us purpose. And, and He doesn't just put us on this earth to survive. He doesn't just put us on this earth to figure out, okay, how do I get a roof over my head and food on the table? No, He creates us and then He blesses us with with purpose. The Bible says God blessed them. 
them being all of humanity, not just Adam and Eve, God blessed them. He blessed you and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth and every tree that has fruit and with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And what's really interesting to me here is that the Bible describes the creation of mankind, and this is kind of like the first moment where the Bible sets up the big overarching purpose of mankind, and it doesn't actually say what you would expect it to say. There's nothing here about worship. There's nothing seemingly here about loving others, about serving others. All those seem to be missing here. The purpose that God blesses mankind with seems to be much more, shall we say, practical. More down to earth. Fill the earth with lots of people. In other words, make, have families, make babies, um, subdue the earth, which is to say govern, rule over it, take responsibility for this planet that we're on. It's interesting. The Genesis 1 creation story wraps up with God calling all that he'd made good. And then Genesis 2 opens by describing how God rested from all the work that he had done creating. So the broad story of creation is finished. Now the Bible in Genesis 2, chapter uh, verse 5, is going to get into the more narrow, specific story of mankind's creation. And we're going to pick things up just after everything except mankind has been created. So we've got mountains, we've got stars, we've got cedar trees, we've got fir trees, we've got alligators, we've got zebras, we've got everything is out there. It's all been created. God has only one thing left to create, and that's humans. Genesis 2, 5, the Bible continues saying, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was, and this is a key phrase for us this morning, there was no one to work the ground. Now, if you're paying attention this morning, you're thinking, okay, wait a second, Rich, Rich you just said that everything had already been created. Plants, animals, mountains, trees, all that stuff had all been created. And here, we just read about how no shrub or plant had yet sprung up. What's going on here, Rich? What are we talking about? Does this even matter? Why are we talking? Are we talking about shrubs and plants this morning? What's going on? You're about four or five months late for the shrubs and plants conversation. Well, there's actually a little bit of debate um, around exactly what this passage is describing, but the explanation that's most agreed upon and that actually makes, um, I think, the most sense is that this verse is referring to a particular section of land rather than the entire earth. It's like uh, they're looking out over an empty section of land. You know, down at Hovander, you have the, there's a, there's a couple spots where you just have a big empty section of land. It's just all grass. You have the Nooksack River on one side, and then you have the, the road on the other side. But, but there's a big section of land. And it's like the writer here is looking out on that section of land and going, oh, there's trees, and there's plants, and there's rivers, and there's deer running here and there, and all this kind of stuff. But there's a section where no shrub has yet appeared and no plant has yet sprung up. And it's like you're describing everything that had been created, but in this particular field, no shrubs have appeared or plants have grown up. And the Bible gives two reasons for this. One is it hasn't yet rained. And number two, 
there was no one to work the ground. Nobody to work the ground. And why was there nobody to work the ground? Well, because men and women had not yet been created. Stick with me, because it's all going to come together in a second. You can have the most amazing, nutrient-filled topsoil, but if there's no one to till up the soil, to work the soil, to plant seeds, all that kind of stuff, to cultivate the ground, you won't have vegetation spring up. No shrubs, no plants. It's just wild, unruly planet Earth. But God has a solution to the problem. In the words of Steve Harvey, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a caretaker. So God created a, that's your cue. And we know Steve Harvey here this morning? You never read the plaque on the wall, Edeline? So God created a farmer. Yeah, no? Some of you, okay. All right. God says, I need a farmer. He needs someone who would get the job done, somebody who would care for the ground, someone to move rocks, to dig up roots, to plant the seed, to remove plants that weren't supposed to be there, someone to manage, someone to rule over all that he had made. It's like God posts a job opening, creates Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve go and log into Indeed.com and their LinkedIn accounts, and they see that there's a job opening, a position available for farmers, and they accept the position, and off they go, taking up their very first job, doing the work that God had created them to do. I wonder how many of you this morning can recall your very first job? Anybody? Anybody want to be so bold as to tell us what your first job was? Check, 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 check. We got Mike Power. Anybody? First job. Andy. I was janitor at the local uh, union hall. Awesome. Anybody else? First job. Mo? Um, I was a um, tutor at the instructional center at UW. Oh, wow, nice. I saw your hand up. Are we on? Check, 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 check. <laughs> Doesn't sound loud. Still not on. There we go. I picked uh, berries when I was nine years old before the child labor laws yeah. came into <laughs> Who else here, your first job was picking berries? Wow. Yeah, you must, uh, a lot of you be from Whatcom County. Anybody else? First job. I saw a couple hands back here. Mike. A temporary farmhand for somebody out in the county down south. Sweet. Anybody else? A few more. Run over here. John, can tell us about his first job? I was making napalm bombs for the Vietnam War. Oi. <laughs> Not his favorite thing he said, but that was his first job. Anybody else? First job. Oh, I got two more. Two more. Two more. Josh, first job. Killing chickens at a poultry slaughterhouse. Ooh. 14. Nice, okay. These are some interesting first jobs, and I saw Kim. Fast, fast food. Yeah, yeah. Fries and hamburgers and, yeah. All right, anybody else? First fa job was fast food, fast food. Anybody else? Okay, I think just about all the kids in my home, it was either fast food or it was uh, berries. For me, my first job, I had my first job when I was 10 years old. I delivered newspapers for the province newspaper up in, uh, in a little tiny place. I'll just destroy all the microphones this morning while I'm 
at it, but I delivered newspapers in a little town called Port Alice on Vancouver Island. And every day I'd have about 30 to 40 newspapers that were dropped off of my door and I'd put them in the canvas sack that they gave me and just walk around town and chuck the newspapers at people's houses. I got that first job for one reason. I wanted some cold hard cash so that I could add to my hockey and baseball card collection. And that was the way I was going to do it. And that was it for me without even realizing it. And some of you, when you had your first job, you probably didn't realize it, but you started a vocational journey with that very first job that, that you had. Or as my father-in-law would say, I was officially part of the working class. I had officially begun a relationship with this thing called work. Now, what I didn't know at the time is that I'd actually already unofficially started a relationship with work. When I was about five years old, I started to do school work. And also, when I was about probably three or four years old, I had to do this work around the house that my parents called chores. Start a relationship with work. All things that fall under the banner of work. To be honest, my relationship with work wasn't very good at first. I didn't want to go to school. I wanted to be out fishing. I wanted to be out riding my bicycle. I wanted to be out. I had a, we lived right on this forest, and I wanted to be out in the forest building tree forts and all that kind of stuff. I didn't want to really deliver newspapers. I just wanted to ride my bike for fun. Work seemed like, well, work. Fast forward about five years. Um, I was about 15. My dad was constantly hounding me. It seemed like every day to get a job, get a job. Rich, get a job. I just wanted to play my guitar. I just wanted to hang out with my friends, play basketball, all that kind of stuff. But when I got offered a job as a sales clerk, wasn't really even looking for it, I felt like I had to say yes. One, it would get my dad off my back. And two, I knew I was going to be getting a car pretty soon. If I wanted, well, if I was going to have a license and if I wanted a car, I needed a job because my parents had made it very clear to me that there was not going to be a dime out of their pocket going towards my first car. So I had to get a job. And as a, as a working 15-year-old, and some of you will, will relate to this, there was a, a new aspect that was introduced to my relationship with work. I just knew for me that stacking cans of mushroom soup and toilet paper um, wasn't what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I don't know where this sense came from, but for me, it was just there. Now, if you go down to grocery outlet and you talk to guys like Frank or Larry, these guys have passion for that. It's like calling on, the, on their, their lives. They, they do it. But for me, there was some desires, some dreams, some interests, and then just this inner restlessness that there was something else for me. I didn't put that there. It was just there. And you likely have all had this at one time or another. You just knew that the work you were doing wasn't what you were going to do or supposed to do with the rest of your life. Well, for me, fast forward three years, after putting in all the hard work of high school, um, I graduated and then went off to Bible college thinking that I was going to do work in a church for the rest of my life. Well, after one year, I dropped out because I thought, you know what? If church work is me having to parse Greek and Hebrew verbs and dissect every word down to the nth degree, I was like, that, that's just not what I really want to be doing with my life. So I went home kind of disillusioned, and that first summer, I actually tried to find a couple different jobs. The first job I had was a forced firefighter. 
and it sounds a lot more glamorous than it actually was. Uh, I actually, I was uh, um, flown out to this camp where we stayed in these little tiny cramped apartment, aluminum apartment buildings in the middle of like a forestry camp, all kinds of interesting characters. I was at the bottom rung of the ladder, and so I didn't even get to work with a real fire hose. Um, my group of people, we just walked around all day with these tin cans on our back with these hoses. Um, they sprayed so little water that, pardon the expression this morning, they were called piss cans. They were like, they just they didn't do anything. And, and if, a, if the fire started to come towards us, we were going to be dead kind of thing. I mean, there was just, it's like a squirt gun at this, this fire. And we weren't packing around these things. We had these pickaxes, and we were digging these fire lines through rooted ground, and it was just hard, hard work. And so I got out of that as fast as I could. Next, I tried forestry work. I've always been a big fan of the outdoors, trees, all this kind of stuff. And so I thought, okay, I'll give this a go. And so I did that for probably, I don't know, maybe a month and a half. Well, that all ended when one day I took a chainsaw to my leg, shredded the flesh right off of it, had about 30 stitches, and that was the end of my days as a forestry worker. Well, I ended up back at the grocery store where I had one of my first jobs, was the produce manager for two years. Yeah, if you want to know how to pick out a good cantaloupe at the store, let's chat after the service. I can help you out with that. Or bag groceries. groceries. Yep. Becky's really impressed with my grocery bagging skills when we're at Winco together. (laughs) But deep down, as as I'm going through all these jobs, I felt this pull uh, to church work. So eventually I went back to Bible college, graduated, and became a pastor which introduced to me all kinds of new aspects in my relationship with work. Um, On one hand, there was this sense of fulfillment, working with people and seeing how my work was making a difference in somebody's life. But on the other hand, there was discouragement when you put in all this work and it would not pan out like you thought it would pan out. There was the stress and the pressure of, of learning how to balance my personal life, of having to get stuff done on a deadline, or having people upset or, or flat-out angry. I mean, I had people angry with how things were, were being done. It brought all this stress and pressure and anxiety. On one hand, there was passion that came from getting excited about vision and strategy to reach a city. And on the other hand, there was boredom, just doing the same thing day in, Day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year after year after year after year. On one hand, there was the joy of camaraderie that came from working with a team of people to get something accomplished. But then there was also, on the other hand, the, the conflict and the frustration because you don't get along with your boss. Or you got some coworkers that just grate on you and just drive you bonkers. And work is like that, isn't it? It's like... The best of times, and it's the worst of times. One day work is the most exciting, energy thing, energizing thing that you can do, and then the next moment, you want to walk into your boss's office and throw your resignation down on the table, take your family, move to some cabin in the middle of Alaska, and live off berries and moose meat. Anybody <laughs> besides me ever been there? <laughs> what are we to make of this thing called work? 90,000 hours 
is what the average person will spend in paid work. That's not counting all the other forms of work that we do in our lives. 90,000 hours. So just to give you a little bit of of a perspective on what 90,000 hours is, if you were to work 24 hours a day, 365 days a a year, you would be done your 90,000 hours of work in 10 years. That's like nonstop. You don't sleep. You don't eat. You just work, 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 work. Some of you are getting exhausted just even thinking about that this morning. And yet for many people, work is a four-letter word. It's the worst part of their lives. It's the part of their lives that they're hoping that one day, if they work enough, they'll never have to work again. But for many, it's just, it isn't fulfilling. It's seen as a meaningless activity that simply pays the bills, or they're constantly itching for something different. They're restless in the role that they have. They're always gazing at the grass. It looks so much greener on the other side of the fence. At the end of the day, for many people, they're left wondering if the work they do even really matters. And by the way, if you're in that boat and you think that you're the only one who ever feels this way, you would be mistaken. The average person changes careers, according to the stats and the data out there, between five to seven times in their lives. Between five to seven times. This affects all of us. Sure, there's, there's, there's the seasons where work is, is just like sunshine and rainbows, and it's going great and awesome. But for all of us, there are times, maybe more often than not, if we're honest, where we wonder if this thing that we do with so much of our lives, does it really matter in the big picture? Does it really make a difference? We wonder if it's really possible for work to have joy, purpose, and, and to give us that sense of satisfaction and, and, and fulfillment. Surely it must be possible to have a better relationship with work. And what I am hoping and praying will happen over the next few weeks is that you will see that yes, your work does matter, and yes, it's possible for the work you do, whether that is studying math or teaching students or working on machines or, or pastoring a church, that yes, it can bring you joy, purpose, and fulfillment. Your work matters to God. It matters to your family. It matters to your community. It matters to the world in which you live. And, and I really believe that this series that we're going to do can radically shift your perspective on work, this part of your life that you spend so much time doing, can radically shift your perspective. And today what I want to do, and just a little bit of time that we have left, is I want to start off by giving you some basic theology around work. Theology is basically seeing the world, including your work, through, through the eyes of God. It's understanding who God is and and how God sees things. And if we're going to view our work rightly, we need to start off by viewing our work in the same way that God views work. And I want to give you a a framework that that every one of us needs to know if we're going to have a good and healthy, life-giving relationship with work. It doesn't matter if that work is Algebra 2, changing your two-year-old's diaper, Vacuuming carpets, training teams, leading organizations, helping run a refinery or farming a field. You need to know how God sees work. And so I'm going to give you some things this morning that will just help you see how God sees work. Number one is this. 
Work was God's idea. Work was God's idea. Have you ever seen the movie Wally? Anybody? Uh, Wally, Wally. Is... <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> Wally, if you haven't seen it, is this movie about this adorable little robot. And uh, Wally kind of lives this lonely life. He's, and he, he, his, his job, his work, is cleaning up all the trash that humans have left behind. And so uh, eventually, though, he meets this other little robot. Her name is... Wow, you guys are good this morning. Name is Eve. And he ends up following Eve off to this space station where all the humans have left the earth and they're now living off in this, this space station. And when he gets there, the humans have become these very lazy, self-absorbed people. All they do is they lay back in these recliners. They are literally like locked into their screens all day long. Sound like anybody you know. Don't say if it does. But, but they become these very unhealthy people that are just uh, total couch potatoes, doing nothing all day but sit around. And as you watch this movie, you start to see really quick, oh, this is actually pretty, pretty uh, a good portrayal of where we're slowly getting to. And, and, and also as you're watching it, you, you realize that this is not how it's supposed to be. It is not supposed to be like this. And what's interesting is that as God could have created our existence to be like that, you know, he could have created Adam and Eve, and he could have created all these, these, these robots, and he could have had these robots just walking around serving us all the time, and we just have to do absolutely nothing all day but just sit around and splash in the lake and the pond and whatever and, and, and swing on Tarzan swings. I don't know, but we could have just, he, he could have made, made our existence like that, but he didn't. He didn't. Instead, what he did is he gave us the raw materials and resources of this earth, and then instead of putting robotic creatures in place to make it all happen, he goes looking for workers, someone who would work and, and cultivate the ground and make plants and food grow. He made it that way. He made it that way. And, and we make this mistake when we go, okay, but I thought work was a part of the fall. Like, isn't when, when Adam and Eve ate that apple and just messed everything up for mankind, isn't that actually where work sort of started? You know, I read, I read the curse that God put on mankind, and, and there's words in there like toil and sweat of your brow, and it's just going to be hard work and all this kind of stuff. I thought work was a result of the fall. What do you mean it was God's idea? Well, that's a, a, actually a, a common misconception about the fall and work. The fall actually did have an impact on work, but it didn't create work. What it did was it changed the nature of work. Work was actually designed by God to be an activity that brings pleasure, that brings joy, that brings accomplishment, goodness. That's how God designed it, but the fall comes along and it makes work a burden. The fall makes work frustrating. Instead of work being used to enhance the world, it becomes used to exploit it. Rather than work being balanced in our lives, it becomes either overvalued and that somebody just begins to grab onto their work as their identity and that's who they are and they're just going to work, 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 become works, workaholics, or it's, or it's undervalued. Someone goes, I'm not going to work. I'm going to let everybody else provide for me and do all the work and I'm just going to sit around all day like, like a, a, a Wally character or something. 
The fall didn't produce work. It changed its nature. Work was God's idea. It's God's idea. It was his idea. Before the fall even happened, God is looking for somebody to work the ground. It's God's idea. It's God's idea. Number two is this. Work is good. Work is good. Come on, say that with me this morning. Work is good. Come on, say it like you mean it. Work is good. None of you mean that this morning. So often, though, we have this bad view of work, right, where I live for the weekend, right, or another day, another dollar. We despise work. It's nothing but stress. We long for the day where we're 65, where we, we don't understand how work connects to faith. And then there's all the perils of work that we've already talked about, where you've got stress, you've got bad bosses, you've got lousy coworkers, you're just bored all the time. There's workaholism, overworked, and underpaid. We get to a place where work is just a bad experience. But you know how I know work is good? One, because it's God's idea. And number two, because God is a worker. And everything that God does is good. Genesis 2.2 says, By the seventh day, God had finished the what? God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God works. In fact, probably half the prayers that you pray are asking God to do what? To work. God work in our church. God, work in my friends and work in my family. God, work in my workplace. God, work in my city. God, come and work. We ask God to exert himself by healing, by setting us free, by, by moving. That is work. And if God works, that means that work is good. One of the ways that you imitate God and become like Jesus is by working. It's by working. If you cannot become like Jesus if you don't work. God works. So number one, work is God's idea. Number two, work is good. And number three, work has worth. It has worth. If it's God's idea, if work is good, then every legitimate kind of work has worth. And I throw the word legitimate in there because not all work is legitimate work. If you're selling meth to, to addicts, that's not legitimate work. If you're trying to shortcut your way to that new house by breaking into the bank— Come on, that's not legitimate work. But, but all legitimate work, it has worth. In Genesis 2.5, it says, there was no one to, to work the ground. And when you kind of dig into some of the Hebrew and Greek, here's the stuff that I didn't really like about Bible college, but um, when you dig into the, the, the Hebrew, it's actually got some value. We, you, you find out that word work is actually a word that means, uh, the word is avode, which means to cultivate. To cultivate. And, and this work is used, or this word, it's, it's used throughout the, New, the, the Old Testament to describe all kinds of work. It's the word that's used to describe the, 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 the men and the women that, that when they were building the tabernacle, they, they wove together the fabrics and the linens for the tabernacle. It's used to describe the, the craftsmanship uh, and the artisans that, that built it. Solomon used this, this word to describe the work of the priests at the dedication of the temple as they led in corporate worship. And when you read the Old Testament, there's this seamless connection between work 
and worship. Between work and worship. They viewed work as worship. When you view your job as ultimately being for the king of kings, that audience of one, but not only that, you view it as being something that enhances the world you live in. Just like Adam and Eve were, were, were called to work as farmers to enhance the world that they lived in, when you start to see it like that, it gives your job worth. It gives it worth. Last year, I had a chance, um, me and my second oldest daughter, we had a chance to do some traveling in Europe, and we got to see some incredible buildings. And two of the most incredible buildings that we saw were these two cathedrals, um, Westminster Abbey and St. Paul's Cathedral in London. If you saw any of the Queen's funeral, that took place at Westminster Abbey. And you walk in there, and, and there's no way I'm going to be able to do it justice this morning, um, but you, you walk in there, and it's just, it is awe-inspiring. The craftsmanship and how, I mean, it's this massive building that pictures will never just help you understand. This massive building. And you're in there, and you look around, and you even look up at, at some of the, the, the peaks, and they're so far up there. And yet, on those peaks, there's these beautiful, ornate, detailed paintings and craftsmanship like it's just it's so amazing all the work that went into making these incredible incredible buildings well there's a story of three stonemasons who are engaged in conversation with a visitor during the construction of these buildings and the visitor approached them and asked them what they were doing the first guy says um i'm cutting stone second replied i'm making a living and the visitor went to the third person and said, well, what are, what are you doing? To which the third replied, I'm building a cathedral for God and his people. It's all about your perspective. It's all about your perspective. What is your perspective on the work that you do? Are you simply teaching math to third graders, or are you training up young people who are going to make this world a better place to live in, all for the glory of God. Are you making a paycheck or are you helping run an oil refinery that will provide the energy that will enhance the world and make it a better place for the glory of God? Are you tending a garden because you're trying to save money on vegetables or are you reflecting the creative nature of God and cultivating the raw earth so it produces fruits and vegetables that will enhance this place and make it a better place to live. What's your perspective on the work that you do? Your work has worth. If nothing else today, I hope you can walk into your workplace tomorrow and go, what I'm doing today is so much bigger than making a paycheck. What I'm doing today is so much bigger than trying to find time or fill, fill time with something. What I'm doing today is so much bigger than just the obligatory joining the working class. No, what I'm doing, the work that I do has worth. It has worth. And then the last thing, number four, you were created to work. You were created to work. God builds the world, creates everything, and he does it in such a way that in order to maintain and build it, you and I 
are going to have to exert some energy. This thing we call work. Planet Earth is wild. It has all the natural resources that we could ever want or need. It's pretty crazy that you get from like the Adam and Eve creation story to today where you got rockets and people flying up in the space stations. All that was a result of, of work. It's all the resources that we could ever want or need. And then God comes along and basically gives it to us so that you and I can cultivate it and cause humanity to flourish. We weren't created to be lazy. We weren't created to be these good-for-nothing couch potatoes like Wally. We were created, you and I, we were created to cultivate, to create, to maintain, to establish, to study, to implement, to operate, to produce, to manage, to move, to build, to grow, to harvest, to regulate. In short, we were created to work. You were created to worship God, not just through what happens here on Sunday morning with singing and serving others. I hope that, th that this series absolutely blows that thinking to smithereens. No, you were created to worship God, not just through what happens here, but you were created to worship God through the work that you do Monday to Friday or whatever days that you work during the, the week. Created to worship God through the way that you do your work. Furthermore, you're created to contribute in some way to God's creation. Created to work. And, and I believe that as we dive into this together, you're going to see that, oh, that's actually meant to be a joy. That's meant to be something good. That's meant to be something that brings satisfaction not only to me, but to the people that I'm working with, that I'm working for. Your work matters. Your work matters. Student, student, your work it matters. First responder, your work matters. Refinery worker, your work matters. Healthcare worker, your work matters. Whatever your work is this morning, we have all kinds of different work represented here this, in this room and people watching online. Whatever you do, you need to know that your work matters. It's good. It's a job that's been given to you by God himself, and it has more work than you'll ever realize. It absolutely matters. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Lord, I uh, just want to lift up, God, all of us that are, are listening to this this morning. And Lord, I know that you want to do something in us where you just help us, God, to see this activity that we do with so much of our lives. Not as a burden, not as a heavy load. God, you, you want to shift our perspective on how we see the work that we do, not just the paid work that we do, but God, even the work that we do around our households, whether it's fixing a sink, whether it's helping our kids um, just with their schoolwork, or uh, God, maybe it is a paid job. God, whatever the work it is that we do, God, you want to shift our perspective on how we see that. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, would, would do that in each one of us, that God, we begin to see that the work that we do, God, is not a result of the evil one, but God, it was your idea. It was your idea because you wanted to not just create this, this world, but God, you wanted to invite us and call us into cultivating it, enriching it, God, making it a better place. God, you invited us into that. That was your idea. And because of that, God, it's good. Our work is good. 
And God, I pray that, God, for all of us, Lord, you would help us, God, to, to be able to walk out of this place today and, God, into our workplaces, God, whether it's this afternoon or later on this week, God, help us to be able to walk into those workplaces, God, with just a new sense of purpose, God, a new sense of worth. God, I pray for the person who's here this morning who just feels like their job does not matter. God, I pray that they would they would get a sense, Lord, of the worth that, that exists in that job that they have. And then, God, I also pray, Lord, that over the next uh, couple weeks, God, as we dive into work as calling, God, as we dive into some of the questions, God, that, that maybe some of the students have in the room about, well, how do I know if it's the right line of work for me? Is, is there that perfect place, or how does that all even work? God, I pray that as we, we look at some of these questions, that God, you would help us, God, to really grab a hold of your heart, God, for the work that we do in this world in which we live. Help us, I pray. Help us, I pray. God, I pray that, that Lord, you would help us as a church to be people that go out into our workplaces and the world that we live, um, God, with a purpose, with a sense of calling, and God, just knowing that your Holy Spirit is on the work that we do. God, I pray that this week, God, you'd help us to work as unto you. God, help us to work, God, as, as people that are working for that audience of one, that, God, we would do uh, everything we do for your glory and for your honor. God, even in the most difficult work situations, God, maybe there's somebody here that just has, it, it, it's, it's really bad at work. Maybe they're not being treated fairly. Maybe there's a lot of inner conflict and turmoil. God, this week, give them wisdom, God, on how they can be you in their workplace, how they can reflect you. And God, bring a sense of worth and goodness, God, to what it is that they do. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we've had here together. And Lord, it's just been so good being reminded of your love, being reminded of how you're, you're with us and you care so much for us. God, I pray that all of us would be able to, to just experience your goodness and your presence this week in our lives, in our work, in our recreating. God, whatever we do, may you just be glorified in all that we do. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 Awesome. Well, I invite you to come back next week. I was honestly a little bit reluctant to kind of get the word out there about what this series was going to be on, because I was a little bit nervous that you're going to see a series on work and go, oh, I'm skipping that one. I don't want to think about work on a Sunday, um, but I really hope that you'll come back, and, and I really believe that this is going to be a, it's going to bring a shift in how you approach your work in a way that's good. It's going to be really good. We're going to close up by singing a song. So why don't you stand with us this morning? We're going to head out with some worship. Um, we've got some buckets that are going to be going down your row. It's going to give you an opportunity to give back to God, and, uh, but let's go out with a heart of worship. Just telling Jesus, you're everything, we love you, all that kind of stuff. God bless, have an awesome week. Don't forget next week is the chili bowl. Bring that chili, it's going to be a great time. God bless.